Until the next time, we will survive. It is time to put in this. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogging is specialist, critical and survivalist. Spitting hell, fighting from his lips. Burning slave driver. Welcome listeners, the time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, but we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Thought I'd get and get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. It's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com which is the homepage and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, it's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Also, you can go to a bb2me.com again, forward slash time for an awakening. That's a B I B I T U M I forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. And the TuneIn Radio app, uh, type in Time for an Awakening in the search engine. You'll see the icon, and you can stream your program live, even into your car if you have the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, it's timeforanawakening at gmail. Dot com Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. And that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted da- being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program. With the fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening media is there. Always follow the latest podcasts of the various programs. One time for an awakening media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that time for an awakening marketplace and our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday, uh, chilly Sunday evening, and uh, we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, activist, researcher, and historian, Brother Sineb Sankofa, and also members of Each One, Teach One, Think Tank, should be joining us this evening. Uh, 
we're going to go into a lot of different things dealing with our historical experience here in this country. Uh, the think tank uh, specializes in uh, our historical experience here for the past 500 years in, in the shores of North America. We're going to be discussing things tonight pertinent to that, uh, looking into some of our ancestors and their struggles here to help our people move forward and reflect on what's going on now when we see a lot of uh, quote-unquote black leadership and their actions, uh, whether it's accommodationists, whether it's integrationists, Listen, we're going to look at all of that tonight with our special guest this evening, Brother Sidnips and Kofa and some of the other brothers from the Each One Teach One Think Tank. And we'll get started with them uh, when we come back at the openings from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. 
If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go and what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awareness with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening at 712 here in the city of Philadelphia. On Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and R Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm all right. And yes, it is chilly. Um, you know, that you know how that go. But, um, you know, Elliot, I'm, if all things go well, I'm looking forward to um, the dialogue and exchange and, and analysis um, and speaking with um, um, Brother Seneb and, and the other brothers from Each One Teach One. Um, I, I and I know I know I've well we had Brother Sinabon and Brother Raborn on before, but you know I really praise their um, research work. Um, I was trying to get see if we can get Brother Danny, which is a part of that uh, team, um, because they each one teach one has done. I, I feel a phenomenal do- job in looking over, you know, the this you know as they said five hundred years, but. Um, now moving it from, you know, like re- just reading other people, but searching um, primary documents and doing um, thorough research. And I think that when you, and when you say, you know, a think tank um, um, born out of the community itself, out of the people itself, it's like really um, critical and important. Well, listen, I agree with you, Richard. I, I, I think that we need more of these in every city. Uh, groups around uh, uh, different urban areas and, and uh, rural areas uh, discussing our experiences here, looking at the moves our ancestors tried to make here, critically analyzing them, because it's a blueprint there, Richard, of what mm-hmm. we should do moving forward. It's a clear blueprint. And it's a clear blueprint here how these other people uh Europeans have been dealing with us. They haven't really changed their playbook, Richard, if you really no. look at it. It's a system. It, mm-hmm. Exactly. But, you know, that's why, you know, I, I, I love talking about history on the program because it's a 
it's a guide to where we need to go and what we need to do. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. A lot of our ancestors have have went down this path, and they've laid uh, breadcrumbs for us to follow. Uh, we'll get the men on to talk about some of their work and analyzing the situation, uh, past and present, to look at what's going on, to look at the people that have been put in leadership of our communities and see where this is coming from. This is, this is nothing new. Um, let's get some of the men on. I think, uh, maybe it's brother Sinev is here. Is, uh, is he here, Richard? It, I think that's, that's what I was wondering. It's, let's, let's um, reach out to see, uh, yes, sir. How are you? Brother how, Sinev, you how are you, sir? Yes. Good evening, sir. How are you this evening? Doing great. Uh, Happy to have you back on top on awakening with myself and brother Richard. Even Brother Richard as well. Good to hear from you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Brother Sinead, before we uh, kind of get started uh, talking about different things, uh, talk about the group, uh, the think tank of each one, teach one, uh, how you got started, uh, some of the things that brought you men together, and uh, there's probably some sisters involved too. But talk about uh, talk about the group uh, before you, we kind of delve into a lot of the different things that we're going to talk about. Yes, sir, and thank you for allowing me on. Um, I come from a think tank by the name of Each One Teach One. I believe it back in 2016, though I'm not an original member, though uh, Brother True Storian, which is also known by Danny, and the Brother Rob Bourne was you know, in the group before myself. But, again, back in 2016, we began to see sort of a void in regards to the focus amongst, you know, I guess the conscious community or the social media community surrounding West Africa and black history in regards to the United States of America, how we got here, how the nation was formed, um, and what was the Negro's role in all of these situations. So um, the Brother Two story and began to put out, you know, short snippet videos, you know, speaking about the Nook and Wagadu, which are certain cultures in West Africa, you know, the Wagadu, the Ghana Empire, and ultimately Mali and Songhai and also with the North culture, which is another West African entity in the area of Nigeria that we know of that has BC time metallurgy. So to sort of draw the people in. And then we got a, a heavy dose of the creation of what we know as the United States of America, black people's role, um, how early pockets of free black uh, people be in the form, mutual aid and benefit organizations, acknowledging citizenship, as well as acknowledging our connection to uh, Africa and how we began to sort of use whether it was a declaration of independence or whatever laws we had in our vicinity or local municipalities sort of began to again form in these bodies to improve our civil as well as social condition. So to my in my opinion, each one teach one is sort of the epitome of focusing on starting where you stand. I know you brothers are from Philadelphia. Philadelphia has a rich history in regards to free black population and social and political activism. Um, Octavius Cotto, Richard Allen, that's Lon Jones, the Free African Society of 1787. This is sort of the root and sort of the foundation of, again, that black uh, organization. So, again, the, the group focuses on that. Uh, we sort of build and dwell into those primary sources and not just what contemporary authors say, but what the people who lived during the 18th, 19th, and early 20th century said about themselves and, and how they wanted to go about liberation. So that's what we focus on. And again, I thank 
uh, yourself and brother uh, Richard for letting me come on and letting the team come on and have this conversation. Uh, Richard. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking for uh, uh, Rob Warren and hopefully Danny will come on. You know, Danny always like a- acting. And I, 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 uh, Elliot, I feel real comfortable and I hope um, Brother Sinev, you know, um, takes it, um, you know, respectfully. I real feel real comfortable with these brothers in the exchange. They're, they're, I'm really learning a lot from them um, and, and viewing yes, their material. So I, I, I kind of speak to them like they're they're part of, you know, even the time for awakening family and in and, and the communication. But, you know, it's a thought um, that came to me, um, Brother Snap, that um, as, you know, as looking at, you know, the work that you've done in the time that you say since um, 2016, I, want, I was wondering, do you have, like, when you look over the period that you've explored, the historical period, um, is there punctuated points that stand out to you, you know, as you looked over this period, as it relates to um, um, African people, whether that's coming over or um, dealing with our liberation, I'm calling liberation struggle. Um, is it punctuated? When you look over that historical narrative that you've explored, um, do you have points that you can um, point to, describe or point out um, that, that struck you? Well, I mean, there's a lot of them. And thank you for the question. You know, the beginning of the 16th century uh, is a pivotal point because it's the the Africans, you know, introduction into the Western Hemisphere and the top of plantation agrarian lifestyle that them and their posterity will be facing. Um, and you still see at that point in time, even 1521, with the 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 Santa Domingo Revolt. You saw early on forms of early Pan-Africanism as these Africans from different tribes coming together to who were warring maybe a couple months ago, now coming together in those involuntary associations and beginning to liberate themselves and forming those maroon communities that we see uh, throughout the uh, so-called Spanish Maine. But also as far as America in the beginning of the 17th century, where you have Negroes being brought to Virginia and introduced to what the English would consider a, plantas- a plantation and agrarian lifestyle. Even here, you see pockets of um, free Africans coming together in the later century to, uh, you know, again, forming those communities because you're being shut out of institutions, you're being shut out of resources, as well as being taxed. And, and that also speaks to what each one teach one is about, because the free black population is seldom spoke of. A lot of the education our children gets, you know, starts right at, you know, 1776 with the creation of the United States, as well as their enslavement and their abolition so they seldom get the the black free black population that sort of initiated this thing that we know of as abolition as du bois said the united states government followed in the footsteps of the black slave um and we think about how black people began to free themselves you know the 19th century is also a very important you know uh, century because not only do you have the abolishment of the slave trade you also have the negro being emancipated and freed and as well as the civil rights and voter rights being secured and the civil war happening. So a, a pivotal point, and Brother Richard, no reconstruction is one of my, that's one of my favorite areas because you, you begin to see what, though you have vestiges of it in the north, you see southern with the pockets where you see majority of black people, uh, autonomous black communities being sort of manifested and secured and what uh, Negroes left alone looks like. 
and also with the violence of those who refuse to leave Negroes alone look like. And, and that's where we get to subsequent great migrations. That's also in that century and, you know, you know, 20th century civil rights movement. So and all the way up to 65 and 68 with those voting rights and civil rights acts. So, you know, as black people, we have a, a bevy of sort of checkpoints. You know, when I think tactically of points in our history, we can use and, you know, pull lessons learned from. There's two periods that I know um, uh, Elliot like really makes us, um, you know, focus on, and that is that reconstruction period. And also the, um, you know, um, to the degree of the civil rights, the civil rights period. So it's, um, I I like to, uh, you know, if, you know, I don't know how you see that Elliot is those, those, that general outline that brother Snap brings up. But uh, I guess you would also agree about the Reconstruction period um, being uh, one of those primary moments um, in our in our history. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, and in fact, um, uh, maybe in the conversation tonight, a lot of things might stem out of that period. And and I just want your opinion on this, brother Snip. I think that that period is very pivotal in our experience here because. It was two different visions for our people. Our people coming out of enslavement had a vision to be in control of their own lives, to direct their own steps, and freedom was always in the minds of our people. Um, I don't know whether they clearly seen a vision on how it would look like maybe 100 years after that but we can see that they were building towards that when that reconstruction period started. When we, just like you said, when we had pockets where we were governing ourselves, you flip the script to Europeans. I think they realized that they made a mistake. Now it's never talked about. You'll never hear this in classrooms and things like that, but we're talking about it here and I want your opinion on it. I think they realized they made a mistake after civil war after the civil war it was a big reset for white america they had been fighting among themselves but their nation was almost torn apart so they had to kind of get things back together mend fences with their brethren uh, uh put olive branches out to some of their brethren that they had been fighting with and during that same period uh we had become free of those chains so you've seen other documented meetings with some of our ancestors, you know, when uh, they were asked what you want. Uh, and the, our people were saying that we want to be left alone and work land and pay for it. So in some instances, that was being done. But I think that white folks realize after they seen the advancements of our people in just a limited space of time, of people that had been shut out of education, uh, had basically been on a plantation and and, and uh, 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 um, almost illiterate population. When they seen the advancements of our people in just a short period of time, they said, oh, wait a minute, we can't allow these people to do this. We need to set up laws to govern them moving around in society. Prior to that, they didn't really have, we were basically, a lot of our people lived on the plantation. So we were, kind of shut out of moving around in society. Everything was policed as far as black folks was concerned. Even black folks that was free. They were almost free at the behest of white people in the North. So it really wasn't 
a lot of laws to govern your movement in society. You weren't buying land. You weren't competing for jobs with white folks. So they had to, they said, well, wait a minute, ho, ho. We got to put some things in place. So to kind of monitor these people's movements in society. So that reconstruction period, as far as blacks, uh, uh, getting uh, uh, elected officers and, and making determinations had to, the rug had to be pulled out. Give me your assessment of that. And then am I wrong or how, how did you in the group see this? Uh, I think we, we align and our uh, understanding of this time period and its uh, importance and effectiveness, because again, it stems or it's sort of the organization was the tool or the glue that kept, you know, even if we disagreed, I think that's a very important part. Even in the group, we speak about it um, internally. Back then, they were able to come together from different areas, particularly when the national conventions were, were prevalent, even in the state pre- uh, conventions. And we set out an agenda, depending upon what your constituents or the, your delegates in your region said, and we voted. We came up with a solution. And then legislation was pushed by these committees that was taken back to these local areas so they had that type of cohesion and organization, something that I feel currently that we lack. But their ability to sort of continue moving the ball forward in regards to their uh, social mobility and uh, economic mobility uh, situated in their ability to, to maintain that level of organization. And that's from the you know 18th century, 19th century to the early 20th century, to even the modern day civil rights movement, where you see that continuation and, and work that was built upon from previous generations. And, and what what Elliot laid out is there um, for for you as far as and, and I know and this is like just to be interactive with us and I hope you know as far as dialogue is there um, like moments that reinforce this point of um, not just um, whether it was the conventions and going back or individuals and 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 places that you you know you have uh, that you're conscious of that um, reinforced this idea of on one side, the self-organizing um, for, for you know, out of the self-determining um, perspective. And then on the other side, the resistance of, of white, um, um, whether within a state or nation, the na- you know, the federal system um, saying, as Elliot said, that they got to say, whoa, we got to slow this down or stop this. Is there is there moments or snippets that you have that um, that give that gives real examples of both of those dynamics going on? Well, I think I, I don't separate the two. Mm. I'm to African culture and what people would say the religion. Those are one and the same. Of course, first law of nature is self-preservation. So you you want to be left alone. You want to be able to exercise your liberties you know, inhibited by racist white supremacist policies, but in areas, and it may be a, a great segue to Booker T, in areas in the South where you see a, a heightened level of white insurgency, we got to remember the Great Migration was the people going from north to south. It was the opposite direction. So that white insurgency and violence that, again, stems from people wanting to be politically active and have a say-so in their resources, have a say-so of political parties and how they want their uh, children educated and their communities governed. That type of activity, you know, the answer to it was violence that was supported by political parties. So when we take how a Southern 
ideology may be manifest in comparison to a northern ideology, we can see how the you know one side may deem one side more accommodating than the latter. But um, again, I think we should take these sort of ideologies and put them in context, and, and again see what the men wrote and the women wrote for themselves and how they felt it was necessary to move how they moved. Um, and I think for a Southern Negro and that, you know, the late 19th century when, you know, you have murders and outrages as uh, here Manil Turner confessed in front of Congress in 1871, you know, that's a, that's not a one-off or a four-leaf clover to see someone murder or brutalize and no one's going to jail, no one's being prosecuted. And if they are prosecuted, they're being acquitted. So that I understand it's a very important aspect of the Southern Negro life we have to speak of when we also talk about uh, accommodation. And and, and 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 so you know, and because um, I'm I'm looking at um, did you you mentioned Henry McNeil Turner, right? Um, is there towns that you can um, um, that you can be able to like describe that? At that point, or towns, places where this political activity was going on, and 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 this white insurgence um, is is manifest. And I and yes, we want to move to because it's a question about accommodationism that um, is a broader question. I, I would like us to explore and using Booker T as the example. Like, at what point um, are we accommodating? Or are we actually trying to navigate this kind of environment, if that makes sense? Is there an example that you can, can give us in the history? I mean, I think uh, 1866 in Memphis, uh, as well as I believe the same year in, in Hamburg, South Carolina, are um, examples of oh, the Camilla massacre in Georgia, which I believe is the same year, or 1870, uh, 1868, when you see Black people begin to organize and meet and have these conventions or have meetings to sort of examine ways to ameliorate their social and legislative condition, you see white supremacy, vestiges of Confederacy, now armed because of President Johnson's amnesty bill of 1866, now attacking. And, and again, you can uh, implore everyone to look up the Memphis riots of 1866, as well as the Camilla massacre in Georgia where it, you know, specifically describes Negroes organizing, coming together to meet, to address these conditions and the violence that was perpetuated against them. Um, I think it's important, and I'm from North Carolina originally, and I think 1865, you have Negroes in New Bern, which is where the African Brigade was created in North Carolina. You know, Black people securing the freedom of other Black people and their idea of political organization, and you start to see a convention held in Raleigh, as well as a abolitionist newspaper, Journal of, um, Journal of Freedom in North Carolina. And, and this echoes the sentiments of Black people everywhere in the creation of these sort of Black institutions. But um, again, it, it's stemming from this violence that's uh, happening in the South. And you can see it, and not in how us modern autodidact historians see it, but their words is speaking to this type of violence and the legislation that was passed during the, again, the 19th century is a very important century. In my opinion, the laws, federal laws, mm -hmm. constitutional amendments passed in this century sort of goes to substantiate the point of the plight of the Negro and how whatever type of activism, because I think they're hand in hand, whether it's forms of accommodation or agitation, 
the meditation is really just, in my opinion, a, a, a northern Negro saying something. You know, that's what I, I feel agitation is outside of protest. But again, that's a maybe a separate conversation down the road. But yeah, yeah, um, and those and those are, those um, examples. Yeah, well, let me ask you, Elliot, and because I, I think in 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 Brother Snap giving um, two other examples, because I, 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 I guess I would like us to see that um, when we talk about accommodation. Um, we're, we're, uh, you know, a, a person being an, a, a black leader and, and, and black institutions, um, being accommodating the white folks, uh, or white policy or white, um, insurgents. Um, we can't use a broad, a broad, um, a broad, a kind of broad stroke in that term. Um, we have to look more into the, you know, what was going on. I guess, Elliot, I'm asking you, you know, would you agree that, you know, we kind of use these terms too loosely? I guess that's the question I'm having. Oh, uh, no, okay. What, what term do you speak uh, of? I'm being accommodationist to, to white power. No, I, personally, I don't think we use it too loosely. Um, and, you know, I think that we really have to define a lot of things or redefine because some of our people listen to, Europeans define things and they kind of take that and they go with it. Uh, Brother Sinead, let me, let me ask you a question and, and it, 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 it kind of encompasses Richard's question of accommodationist because you're talking about accommodating the system of white supremacy. You know, when you hear whites, even now talk about white supremacy, and the system of white supremacy. Well, they don't really mention this. They'll they'll say white supremacy. They'll talk about the system of white supremacy that much. When you hear them talk about it, they talk about it like it's an abstract. They don't talk about it like it's a part of them. Let me give an example, crude examples. And I wrote some notes down to kind of refresh my mind. They talk about the system of white supremacy like it's some type of, um, and I'll use the old horror movie, a Frankenstein monster that have gotten out of control and it has a mind of its own, like it's a separate entity. They don't talk about white supremacy in the form of a, let's say a computer that has to be programmed by both liberal and conservative whites. And it's a computer to help keep black people under subjection and control. It's a computer that they program. They have programmed. They have made this system. Their forefathers, which was slaveholders, uh, racist to the core, uh, 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 pedophiles, almost every vile thing you can think of, formed this system. So it's not like an abstract, like they try to even say now, you know, uh, white supreme, black people face white supremacy, like, <clears throat> like it's some type of abstract monster. They still work on trying to refine this, even to this present day. These white liberals and conservatives work on trying to tweak this system so it can still stay ahead and in control of black people. Give me your opinion on that, Brother Snap. Brother Snap, you still with us? 
Yes, sir. I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you now. Go ahead. Okay, I think my headset died, but um, it is, and I think it gets to a, a different question. I know me and Richard has spoke about it before, but this idea of deciding whether to leave this organization—I mean, excuse me, leave this country or stay—and that sort of frustration that we see in this particular time period in regards to this political activism, the failure of the federal government to sort of continue to protect and sort of uh, attack this uh, racism and white supremacy. But uh, in America, and in a way, it's sort of a, a catch-22 because on one side, they celebrate menstrual and, and popular culture and these negative stereotypes that juxtapose upon the Negro. And then on the other hand, they will say they'll put on a uh, kiwi shine on their face and say, I didn't know it was offensive. So they they have the ability to sort of navigate white supremacy and play ignorant, knowing that the very institutions that this country is founded upon, one being popular culture, uh, and shouts out to the brother um, Danny, because uh, I haven't really seen anybody outside of, you know, Dave, Dr. David Pilgrim and the Jim Crow Museum really highlight the the popular culture aspect and the effects of st- negative stereotypes, the, the bully Negro, the razor blade, the fighting, the sort of negative attributes associated with poverty being suggested that that's how the Negro naturally is. Mm-hmm. And that's racist or white, and that's racist or white supremacy. Because instead of acknowledging that your refusal to educate them and their children, as well as the policy, systematic policies you implemented to keep them in an inferior position okay. is the reason why there may be certain depredations within this community. You have to, again, blame the victim. And, and that is the epitome of racism and white supremacy in this country. And that's happening right now. So, you know, these platforms, and I thank you for it, is a way to sort of call it out. And what each one teach what does is we analyze it and we sort of uh, build because that in itself is what our answers at this period of time we're doing. They were studying law, they were having conversations, they were getting back to their communities in ways so they can improve it. So, And that, yeah. that kind of leads to, uh, Richard, what you uh, wanted to raise in reference to uh, uh, WV and, uh, and Booker, Booker T. Right, but um, Rob Warren just came on, and, and I just wanted to bring him into the conversation. Um, as usual, I, I did the, you know, I, my, um, my, um, dyslexia fell in fell in place when I sent Rob Warren the number. So he's dialing the wrong number trying to get in, but he's here now. Um, is, is that you, Rob Warren? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, um, and he's another part of this uh, team. And, and, and before, if it's, if it's all right with you, Ellie, before um, we go there, I, I wanted to ask Rob Warren the same question I asked, uh, Seneb in relationship to, you know, the, the question of, and, and them doing, because I, I see each one of them, you know, um, has, you know, look, interpret history, um, the, the history they looked at, the 500 years may have interpreted differently, even though they agree on the documentations and the facts. Um, I don't know if that's a fair assessment. So I wanted to get, um, Rob Warren's, um, perspective at Rob Warren of looking over the 500 years, what would be, what would, how do you um, define the critical points, historical points? What are those um, benchmarks that stood out to you over the period that you um, have, have explored? 
But before you do that, um, can you, you know, say, how did you get to come to each one teach one? Um, my peace. Thanks for having me on the show. How did I come to each one teach one? I'm trying to remember that. Well, you know, I, I've been around the community for a while. And once you engage in these type of conversations, these are the type of people that you're going to attract and want to be around because these are the people that are talking about what you want to talk about. So, you know, they used to have Google Hangouts, and I was talking to an individual, Garfield, and he introduced me to Danny, and I saw him at him, and ever since then, we just was talking. And that's basically how that happened. That's just simple, just talking to individuals who's about history. They introduced me to this individual, and I was like, oh, He's coming from a different angle. What's this? And then that's how that's how that happened. Um, what stood out? Yeah, over and, looking at the arc of that, the period that you looked at, and I've seen you, you know, also as Seneb, you kind of, you know, even dealing with West Africa and coming to to you know the enslavement, uh, which you know, Marimba um, says, you know, the Maafa. Um, how do, how do, what are those points that stand out to you? And how do you characterize those points, those periods? Well, um, it, it well, it solved a, a problem. Well, one of them is just first looking at what, what did we do? What were we doing prior to the Europeans in West Africa? So that, those are the things like when I'm looking at the kingdom of Congo or if I'm looking at that prior to the European involvement, if I'm looking at uh, Diomi and I'm looking at all of these different places there and I'm looking at the Igala kingdom and I'm looking at the, what you call a part of the, the Neri kingdom and the, just looking at those cultures and how they organized and ran their society, that, that is the first thing that stood out to me. Um, the second thing was, this is where you, I saw that, wait a minute, these people are not all the same. So, like, because we are here, we'll say Africans. But there, that's not, they don't have that. They different kingdoms, different lineage, different language, different gods. So, and they, and when that happens, as natural humans, as you acquire power, there's no kumbaya utopia. There's like, yo, we don't like you, we want that. And, you know, that's why, that's why they had to have their little armies. And this is why they had to have rules and regulations because it wasn't no peace and no, no, no peaches and cream. Everybody's around. So that stood out to me for one particular reason because I was scratching my brain like, how in the hell did these people come to a place that they never been, don't know about, and just get us? Well, well, like, what, what, what we like? We would just, we just let them do this. How did this happen? So that's a question that a lot of people probably ask. But the narrative that you get is that they just came over there and kidnapped us. So that right there, got that. Um, the third thing is looking at how we when we came to the Americas, what we used to fight for liberation. 
and in the beginning parts of all the like the maroon societies, wherever they at, if they're in Suriname, if they're in Panama, if they're in Haiti, Jamaica, in the United States, you'll see that there's a common theme with those specific people that they held on to their culture and they organized around their Africanness and their culture. And that, you know, it was important for me to see that. So I was like, okay. And then the last part that stood out is how we did that same thing in the, in North America where you had individuals that were fighting, but they chose a different route. Meaning that the route they chose was, we're going to uh, fight for our freedom. We're here for, let's say, after these hundred years and um, revolutionary war kicks off, one group of Europeans makes a proclamation and says, oh, you're going to get free if you fight for us. The other ones come across, they say, hey, if you fight for us, you're going to be free. Okay. And this is what our people decided to do. So now if I go before that, and I'm looking in Florida, that, that first proclamation from 1689 from King Philip, to the people that is in St. Augustine from Spain, they make that first proclamation there. Hey, um, if you spread the word to the Negroes in Carolina, if they come to Florida, you're free. So then from that point, I'm like, oh, shit. This is how the first free black uh, community is built. And that's Fort Mosaic. I mean, so, you know, and I mean recognize that's part in the United States. Because we could argue maroons and other things that had their own thing. So those are the things that stood out to me. And those are the things I like to look at. Because now that we're here, I look to see that they use those stats, uh the specific parts of their culture that they had retained to create organizations. And then, you know, we all talk about the mutual aid societies. You know, we can look in Brooklyn. You see the African Women Society. You can see that is around 1810, then you can see that same society in 1815, they make a school, their own independent school, the walls of a European. They did. Didn't last too long, because why? They didn't have the money. But you see this thirst for knowledge. You see this thirst to understand that education is the is a part of your liberation. And Wherever you, when you start looking at this free community organizing around these mutual aid societies, which birth record, you could say, is a, a part of West African secret societies. I think we went over this before, but you see that as being the origin of it. And then when you're looking at those communities, I'm like, what the hell? How do you just get out of slavery? Or then you have people who were born there, they're still in a different type of slavery than in the South because there's no plantations there, but they're still domestics, they're still slaves. You can't do what you want to do. You're not free, you know what I mean? You needed some freedom papers. But as soon as they get out of this, they hit the ground running. So that means that they always were the spook who sat by the door and that they used what they learned against their enemies and they used their knowledge to build institutions to develop their whatever they perceived as their religious sites, their own places for burial, their own forms of insurance. And these are all of the things that we talk about today. I just brought up just one from 1815. That's one. 
There's only one school or one independent. That's one. So that means in 1815, these black people did not like a Pacific society that did not want to allow their kids to go to school. So they said, okay, the people who found Weeksville, Brooklyn, said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to put this money together that we got from this land that we bought over here, and uh, we're going to make it happen. And then you see this unity. That, and I, I'm going to wrap it up here. You see this unity of them understanding politics and saying in New York specifically that they get getting free in 1827, but in order for these people to vote, they didn't want them to be a part of that thing. They made a, they put a stipulation in there in order for them to vote. Say so you got to own $250 in property. We're going to get that. You just got out of slavery. Where are we, we getting this money from? So those who were already free, who were in different parts, such as the individual who purchased his land from James Weeks, that becomes Weeksville, Brooklyn, they said, okay, we're going to do this here. And then you have another group that goes to Manhattan and says, okay, we're going to do Seneca Village this way. But now you have black people that are living downtown below Wall Street. So all of these free black people are communicating because they make a mechanism to communicate. We're going to use our own words to speak. You're not going to talk about us no more. You're not going to do your political cartoons. You're not going to say that we're lazy. You're not. So it's, it's, it's baffling. So, so these are the things that I saw, and those are the things that stood out to me in, those, in, in that period. But if we're looking at it now, these same things of making political cartoons, mocking us all through the culture, all through the Jim Crow era, calling us the black brute, the black woman is the promiscuous person, we the lazy ones, we the gangsters. And, yo, like, they put this out there. We the gamblers, you know? Like, this is back then. And when you look at it right now, all you got to do is turn your TV on. We are the ones who are participating in a form of entertainment to make money. All coaches are supposed to make money off of their coach. No problem. The Italians did it. They make money off of them, but not all Italians are looked at as a mafia figure. And those people in their community don't live that lifestyle out. We live it out. We live all of these elements out that have been put in our brain with Pacific messages for years and years and years. So wrapping it up, what stood out to me is Black people uniting on their Africanness, coming straight out of slavery, developing all the institutions that we say that we want. What is those institutions? Their own schools, their own life insurance, their own burial grounds, their own forms of protection by like making business committees, et cetera. And like having a place where they could just come meet up and just express themselves without having to be under the eye of these individuals by maintaining their own culture, making their own newspaper. Now, if you look at their media, their media was the newspaper. If you look at the Freedom Journal or all those newspapers, yes, you had different forms of vices in the community. That's not, I'm not going to talk utopia. Yeah, there were people that were gambling. There were people that were robbing. There were people that were doing all types of stuff. That is true. But in that media, the objective of the black voice was freedom, equality, and justice. That's what it was. We want immediate emancipation, period. We want our brothers free and sisters free that's in the South. We're going to make our Underground Railroad. 
we're going to have stuff shut up as soon as they get over here. We go. That unity, that political unity. Also, I left that out. That political unity from voting and all of those other things is what stood out to me in the last 500 years. And I think those things need to be pointed out, those two five aspects of how we expressed ourselves, what we wanted our voice to say, and not be influenced by other individuals for the betterment of our community. So when I look at that, I say, okay, it's 2021. Um, these are the same elements that was there. How do you do that today? And I believe that's the challenge of every radio host or any person who speaks about this. How do you connect with the user or the listener and how do you like point to something right now? I'm done. You want now, and I, it was important for um, both of you to, to for me to to lay out. Your, 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 I'm gonna call it your um, historical journey in, in in developing as as you did your research, and and it's and it was also important what Sinab had raised up earlier, which I hope the time for awakening audience um, see. Um, one is, um, that, um, you're, you're, excuse my expression, you're ordinary people doing extraordinary things, but the point of looking at our history from where we are, right? Um, Sineb, I, I, I believe you were raised in the South and, and, and Rob Warren, I believe you were, um, raised in, you know, in the South and is that North Carolina, Sineb, that you primarily, I mean, is that? Yes, sir. No, Goldsboro, North Carolina. And, and Sineb, you were um, primarily raised in New York, right? And and in 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 the north, um, is that would that be correct? Yes, sir. And 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 but I just wanted to reemphasize Sineb's point in relationship to um, looking at all of us can look at it, and me being in Philadelphia, you know, us being in Philadelphia, looking at our historical narrative from where we are, um, and that we can do that. Um, both of you um, raised and wanted to get to this point about um, how do we view, and we wanted to use the boys and Booker T. And, and Elliot, um, I shouldn't do this because these two brothers been like, they've been going back and forth around this in relationship to how do we define accommodationism as far as um, leaders who are dealing with their dealing with the um, environment that they, we are given and trying to provide the resources um, for our people. So I'm going I'm to use, because we, we were focusing, and I, and I said I wanted to bring up, um, um, I, I wanted to bring up um, Booker T. I wanted to, you know, go into was continue this dialogue of was Booker T an accommodationist? Um, and, but more importantly, which I raised with Sineb, we raised with Sineb earlier, um, the question of what it is to be an accommodationist in this, in this environment. So let me make the question short. Uh, for you, Sineb, would you consider Booker T an accommodationist to white power? I think it's, it can be argued um, that Booker T was accommodating on certain levels. And I think ultimately myself and Rob Bourne agreed that um, depending on the individual and the location, there's a level of accommodation that happens on all levels. Um, though we can 
analyze and discuss the degrees of such accommodation and its negative and positive effects on the people and, you know, even implement ways, new age ways of preventing that type of scenario and situation from happening in the future. And, 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 Rob Bourne, um, you, how did you see, I mean, is, I mean, um, Sineb said that both of y'all agree on it. Is it, it would, would Booker T be an accommodationist? I mean, yeah, and it goes to the point of um, degrees. What we're talking about is degrees of accommodation. And I just want to say this, I don't know how many people are listening or listening, but we all do that in our life in America. If you're a black man and you like your black culture and just say you love your hair, you love box braids, and, and now you want to get a job, you're not wearing that in there to the interview. You're going to accommodate. You're going to act according to and do according to this society, regardless of what you feel, regardless of what your culture is. If you don't do this, you're not getting in the building. If you're not playing this game, you're not getting in the building. But see, there's levels to this. So when I look at Booker T, he's not the first. Well, I would say that he was one of the first people that white America put as the leader, right? Yes, he wanted to deal with education. Yes, he did some good things as far as dealing with that. But when you're looking at the totality of the people and what's going on, you have to ask your question, why would the white man pick this man? Why would they do that? Why is he the first black person to have dinner in the White House? Why is he talking to Theodore Roosevelt and saying that basically I support everything this man is doing? And then if we know Theodore Roosevelt, we know what he did. We know about the early white party. We know, so, you, you know, we can pick out every one of these people. But what we are talking about is degrees of accommodation. And then you're talking about now, what were the results of said accommodation? You have a university that's in place. You have people that's there, that's still around. But when we look at the boys or anyone that has this other kind of philosophy where it was like, we're going to agitate. We want our civil rights, justice. We want all of it. We're not trying to compromise with you. We want our freedom, period. There's no, I'm just going to work and that's it. No, 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 no. So when you do look at Booker T., he does some things behind the scenes, but he's not on front front with it. So, and the same thing goes with WB the Voice. And what we learn as these people get older, I don't see that with, with Booker, but if you look at WB the Voice, he had the same thing. When the World War One came out, what happened? He told us, yes, we need to fight to show out that we're patriots. We need to fight to show that we are good citizens in the Americas and that we're going to get our education and we're going to have these talented temps coming from the American Negro Academy and we're going to show and prove. And you went to the war and you came back and you're still a nigger. This is the same thing that happened in 1812, what they did right here in New York. We built brigades or different regiments to go fight to show, yes, this is our chance to show the white man that we are good people, that we understand what happened, that we are for the Constitution, and we're going to do this, and we're going to get our equal rights. And when you came back, you build your growth theater, they burnt it down, and everything else you did, they tore the shit down to the ground. 
told like, then he felt bad for what he said. And then later on, he changes. So most people change from experience by looking at what? The fruit of your philosophy. So no matter how we look at it and who we pick at, you're going to find something in every one of these people think. You're going to find the boys taking money from white people. You're going to find this guy taking money. But it's degrees. What kind of degree, how high was the boys versus the prestige of Booker T? Nowhere in comparison. Nowhere the, in comparison. With that said, and, and Ellie, I, I, I take it that um, we may need to go to a break. Is that, I don't know if that's. Yeah, we'll, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, <clears throat> we'll continue the conversation uh, with our guests, uh, activists, researcher, and historian, uh, Brother Sanib Sankofa, and other members of the Each One Teach One Think Tank. Uh, we're discussing, uh, uh, Richard introduced the accommodationists, and we're looking at it from perspectives of our some of our history. And two men, they kind of accentuated that in the turn of the late 19th century into the 20th century. And looking at it uh, in perspective of what's happening now, and has the playbook changed and uh, how they're approaching black people? Or should we change how we're dealing with Europeans and use our history as a guide to change that? Uh, again, we're going to look at this right after the break. Uh, we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, you can join this conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. And uh, when we come back from break, leading into this conversation i just want everybody to pay close attention to the first snippet uh when those collages of voices that you hear pay attention to that first snippet dr king says something in there that's very important that he says about eight months before he was assassinated uh in relation to europeans and white america uh, when we come back we'll continue the conversation again you can be involved too by dialing 215 490 98.32 time for an awakening we'll be right back Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215. 215- 
215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customer, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. And just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For 12 years, I and others like me have held out radiant promises of progress I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set. The desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he uh, teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And, uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, uh, if our people could uh, be uh, wrecked, if, they could, if we could be cured, 
of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind. not wondering at all about them. What I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over a hundred billion dollars in reparations and gets four billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over two hundred million dollars and they get two twenty-one million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them. And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you called me a nationalist, because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. But I said that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America, we know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House. You can even put him in his. He's going to still be a Tom. You can put him anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us who are strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. Let me just say this before our time winds up. And that is, I want the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kente. That scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who's the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente has just run away and been caught. And um, 
So the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes, and study the scene, study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip. And you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself, who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby. And there's, a, there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. This, this is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 817 here in the city of Philadelphia, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guests, activist, researcher, and historian, Brother Sanib Sankofa, and members uh, of the Each One Teach One Think Tank. Uh, Brother Rob Bourne is also joining the conversation, uh, part of the Think Tank. Uh, we're discussing the, and Richard, just before the break, uh, mentioned about the accommodationists and two brothers that was pivotal in our experience here in this country, uh, W.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington uh, was mentioned. Um, Richard, you know, you I, know, before, before, before we um, delve into that, let, let me mention something because it's in relation to the two clips that was played, uh, clips that was played and voices of our ancestors speaking. Dr. King said in that speech uh, when he was booed, I think he went to Detroit and uh, I booed him. And he expressed that he was upset by it. When he got home, he started reflecting on things. And he said in that snippet that he convinced the people to have faith in America and white society. He said their hopes had soared. He said they are now booing me because they were unable to deliver on their promises. And he had convinced his people to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. He was talking about white people. He said it clearly. Malcolm, in his snippet on there, 
talked about changing that our people obsess and changing the white man's mind when they should be dealing with changing their own mind. Now, let's use that premise talking about W.B. and Booker T. Because that same stuff is happening now. You know, Jerome Fox, Richard, mm-hmm. the book Addicted to White. Uh, Brother Rabon said earlier about we all do accommodations, but it's levels of it. You remember that, Richard? Right. We all have an addiction to white, whether we want to admit it or not. Just like in any addiction, you have to admit there's a problem before you can get beyond it. Some people admit that there's a problem and they're doing things to fight it. Looking back at our ancestors, we see that there were issues there. All of these men wanted freedom for our people. Uh, They didn't know how that freedom was going to translate, but they wanted freedom from our people. They wanted freedom from oppression. They wanted freedom to move around like they seen other people moving around, all these white people that they were among. I think their approaches of it was different, but it was all, if you look at them, they all had levels of addiction to white. White people helped Booker T establish uh, uh, Tuskegee. He went to, just like uh, Brother Sinead, uh, Brother uh, Rob Owen said, he had dinner with Roosevelt, who was a bigot, a racist dog. But he had dinner with them. Now, he thought, and I know he did, that these white men could help him. These white men, all of them, even the quote-unquote liberals that helped him, seen where it was an opportunity to use him. The same thing with W.E.B. Du Bois. He wanted our people to, he wanted to really help our people. He wanted that talented 10th to sacrifice their personal uh, 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 aspirations to help our people in areas of education, uh, leadership, things of that nature. And eventually move towards freedom. White folks use his same uh, 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 vision of a talented 10th. But they use it to their advantage. They didn't use it to what he aspired to use it for. Even though they helped him form those organizations like the NAACP. So we have to realize when we're talking about any of these men that we all have an addiction to white. Some of them more addicted than others, and we see it still now. And some people, it's more than an addiction. It's an obsession. But some of these men, we, we, listen. And and let me before I turn it back over to uh, to Richard and 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 to uh, Brother Rob Owen and Brother Sinead, I mentioned that and I use it as an example that W. E. B. Du Bois had the vision of the town to tenth to help our people, 
And you see some of the other things he did as far as the Pan-African Congress, picking up the banner that was left by Henry Sylvester Williams that, that, that had died. I think it died in 1910 or 11. And he mentioned in some of his books, that his later books after he quit that organization, that they didn't have any vision of reuniting the African world. He mentioned that. He thought that they did. He thought that people like Joel Spengon, the Jewish person that was a liberal that helped him start that organization, had the same vision he did. He wrote later on that they, they did, did that they didn't, and he was being used. He basically said that. His life went full circle. He lived to almost be 100. So he's seen a lot of his mistakes. He wanted to use that organization to help our people in all areas. White folks, and I'll give an example. White folks used the, that same idea of the talented 10th for control of black people. And they said, well, in this system of white supremacy, we can use their talented 10th and give monetary compensation in areas of entertainment and sports which is nothing to advancing our people towards sovereignty, being good in entertainment and sports. But in this system of white supremacy, that's what they reward our people to do. So then you see our children, adults, and everybody aspiring to those things. They want to be the next Jordan or Kevin Durant. They want to be the next hip-hop artist or R&B singer. Because in the idea of white people, that's your talented 10th. That's not the idea that those ancestors had. Singing and dancing for white people, playing sports for white entertainment. That's not moving you towards sovereignty. But to white folks, that's your talented 10th. They've changed the whole narrative. Anything that we do, they get involved, the so-called white liberals get involved to twist and change the narrative. Instead of learning that lesson from looking back at W.E.B. Du Bois, Dr. King learned that lesson maybe about less than a year before he was murdered by the government. He learned that I can't, I didn't told our people to have faith in these people who have too often proved to be unfaithful, too often proved to be liars. Look at our experiences here. These people are liars. That's not a racist statement. That's not critical race theory. That's race facts. So when we look at our people and label them as an accommodationist, listen, I don't have no problem with our people doing because some of these people now are doing this stuff. Well, it's an addiction. Whether you're talking about Condoleezza Rice, uh, 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 to Clarence Thomas, any of these others, it's an addiction. It's beyond any uh, type of addiction to white. It's an obsession with them. They know what they're doing. Some of those men in the past really believed that they could help black people. Some of these, you're talking about W.E.B. Du Bois and, and uh, 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 Booker T., who was maybe 25 years out of, of having chains on their wrists, although Du Bois didn't, didn't come from the South. So I think we have to look at them in perspective and really see exactly uh, what we're dealing with because we're still dealing with the same problem now. But Richard, uh, uh, mentioned what you said, and I, I want to get Brother Seneb and Brother Rabon's opinion on that. 
No, um, I, I like to. Well, I, w- I was thinking. You know, we were talking earlier today about, you know, really yesterday about this article about the Democrats and 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 strive and this um, race in Virginia, and and then talking about you know this whole thing of accommodation and the the question that comes to mind, and and, and I don't know if I'm putting y'all on the spot and doing this, but I wanted to. Um, utilized your um, th- your historical understanding to help us um, maybe um, analyze from this context of of accommodate accommodating. But how to how, what you said, Elliot, um, in relationship to and and both of you, um, you know, Sinev and, and Rob Bourne said that that it was a, what we view as accommodation is in context of really helping our people. And I'm questioning now when we look at um, the political machinery and involvement, based off of what you may know, and in this particular article, it says that Democrats strive to fire black, to fire black voters turnout in Virginia, um, Virginia governor's race. And I'll just read this two paragraphs, Elliot, and, and wanted to get use, you know, um, Sineb and Rob Bourne just to react from the context of accommodation and what you, you know, and historical understanding. In a, in a vital election for the, Demo- for the Democrats this fall, veteran party stall with Terry McAlfie is unexpectedly be- being run to the, to the wire by his Republican rivals, a political newcomer in the governor's race in Virginia. One path to victory for McAlfie is turning out enough black voters and he and the party leadership are keenly, keenly aware of it, but they, but they, but they make it, but can they make it happen? Prominent black politicians have rushed in to campaign for him. Last week, it was Kamala Harris, twice, Barack Obama, while the Atlantic mayor, what's her name, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the Democratic National Committee chairman, uh, Jamie Harrison, and the Georgia senator, Raphael Warnock, had been there previously. This is what I'm I'm trying to get at, and and hopefully I'm making it clear. And Ellie, you can help me out if I'm I'm not um, presenting it right. From, when we talk about accommodation and from the perspective of uh, really helping our people, if we use history, would y'all say, um, and, and I ask you, Sinev, um, based off of what you, what you may know, is the political machinery that we're um, engaged in now, um, as an example, like the conventions or like the men of Booker T or um, Du Bois, um, would we could we make the analysis that they're um, looking out for our people um, when we look at it from a, pers- a historical perspective? In your in your view, yeah, I would say either gentlemen, um, any black figure or leader uh, who was. Trying their best way that knew how that they knew how to sort of improve the conditions of their local community as well as uh, 
Negroes all over the country. I think, um, you know, we can see them that way. I just think when we get into conversations about who we rather side with or which ideology we, you know what I'm saying, agree with, that's when we begin to sort of pit them against each other and begin to sort of describe those things. But um, I think we've all agreed that putting it in context and understanding that whatever Booker, um, whatever the ideology was before the improvements of a particular Negro, and that's the Negro in the in the South whose ancestor one generation ago was in chains, when a more Du Bois sense or from a more uh, Northern sense, liberal arts sense, and, and the idea of that kind of education putting the Negro on the same level as um, the Northern white. But again, that ideology was for that type of individual. So we see it in that sense. I can, that, that'll prevent you know conversations in the future about who somebody rather root for or any type of versus situation. And, and would you say that the, those who are in the political parties now um, are operating, and, and I don't know to what degree, you know, you've looked at it, but just um, whether it's from a detail or, or a cursory, um, that in the same context as those two men in that time period? I would say in a, in a newer sense, they represent their constituents locally, whatever representative or senator it is. They first have a responsibility to the constituents that put them in office. Um, for black representatives, you know, somebody's politics in Virginia may not match the politics I have here in Georgia. But I think we both will agree that race and the white supremacy exists, but it may operate differently in Virginia. So I think that's another, you know, part we need to understand that the local level politics is the is where it starts. You know, not the other way around where it's a national idea that sort of trickle down to the lowest offices. Uh, I think black politics starts from the grassroots. And, and what about you, Seneb? Um, as it relates to, as I guess, in, in, in Seneb is contextualizing um, national, the national political leaders in this here um, um, thing in Virginia, in this case in Virginia. But the, the question of whether um, the political machinery um, and, and these individuals that are involved are they coming from the context that um, we agree that at least Booker and and Du Bois came from in relationship with um, Elliot raised really um, to help our people? Do you think? I mean, how how do you make that assessment uh, if 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 you can? Um, I guess it's going back now to when we say accommodation, accommod what type of accommodation are you making? Are you making, are you accommodating for the masses of black people or your contingency? Or are you trading off that for material gain and your political power? And that that's really what this is about. That's what it all is about. So these are ideologies, right? And, you know, I'm going to go back in history to, to, to answer your question. If I look at, let's say, in Spain in the early 1500s. We had a black governor called Valentina, I believe. I can't pronounce his name. I would have to look it up. But they did something specific to this black community that originally was taken from West Africa and put there. And what they did was they said, okay, we're going to, this guy, he knows our language. He knows the religion. He knows the culture. So we're going to make this guy the mayor, actually, of this specific province. So when he does that, this person is the only one at this time that will ever reach that thing 
and he acts as a buffer between the community and he's individual. Hold on for one second. Oh, uh, you got a bad connection, yeah. brother. Oh yeah, there was bikes went by. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Hold on. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so they act as a buffer. So now, what do you do? Okay, they would try to get people manumitted when they first get there. They introduce you to the culture. This is what's accepted. No, no, no. Uh, do me a favor. Get to, get to an area where, because there's a lot of interference in your background. Go, go ahead, Richard. Uh, jump in here. Well, I'm, now or I'm still out. Am I still out or still back? Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I was just saying, like, yeah, I always say him come because this is crazy. Go ahead. Go ahead, Richard. Go ahead. Go ahead, Richard. In fact, let me let me take a call in here. Let's go to uh, 602. 602? 602, are you there? Yes. Yes, yes, good brothers. Good evening. Brother Marcus here. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right, good brothers. You know, um, what I want to ask is, from the historical data that you have collected for the last 500 years, and given the, the history, because one common denominator runs through all these the attempts that black people have made in America to be self-sufficient. They white people destroyed it. They destroyed it. All the, all the attempts we have made. So you can't talk about Booker T and, and, and Du Bois without Marcus Garvey, who had an independent program. So I would like to ask the gentlemen, what do they think about Marcus Garvey's program as a viable solution for African people? and how we can pick up that button. Because all other attempts trying to work with white folks have failed. Yes. And we can't keep repeating the same cycle. So I would like to ask that to the gentleman, and I'll hang up and listen to your response. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution, brother. All right. Can y'all hear me now? Am Am I still messed up? You you me now? Yeah. Did you hear his question? The okay. caller? Yeah, I heard it. Go ahead. Yeah, I heard everything you said. I heard it. Well, you know, that's and keep, because, keep it because uh, I want to get Brother uh, Sinebin here, so kind of kind of yeah, make it a little concise. So, so, Good. All right. So, Marcus Garvey um, joint, he's inspired to come here for Booker T. No Booker T, Marcus Garvey wouldn't come here. So, Marcus Garvey originally came here to get funding so that he could build the strategy here in Jamaica. And when he comes here, he meets a person named Hubert Harrison. And Hubert Harrison is the individual who basically opens him up to the community. And he was going to leave if he didn't meet um, Mr. Harrison and his friend. 
And because he heard about the Liberty League and what they were doing, they, he begins to develop his program based off of that. So will it be that? I'm going to say no, because we had a chance to go back to Africa way before him. We got a chance to go to Haiti. We didn't go. We got a chance that that's not, that's not an option. Now, the do-for-self thing, that's been a program that you'll see it uh, um, coming from Booker T. You'll see it in Marcus Garvey. You'll see it in the people that come out there. And, yeah, that we need to get to because we ain't going anywhere. So, yeah, that form of black nationalism, yeah. Sundeb, how, you, how, do you, how do you see the question and, and your response to it? Can you frame that, that last question again? Uh, and, and I guess he was, basic, he was basically asking, would um, um, Mr. Garvey's program be compared, when you look at um, Du Bois and Booker T., would it be a, a su- sufficient alternative uh, to um, this um, in the context of accommodationism? I don't think how I view accommodation is a little bit different. I don't think any program institution or anything that's bent on improving the conditions of the Negro is difficult for me to even see that as being accommodating, uh, particularly when we already have examples of uh, dominant white society sort of impeding in that um, whether it's Marcus Garvey's idea, which I agree with the goddess going back to Africa, we've always had that idea. But I think in totality, black people have chosen to sort of stay and benefit off the systems that they built. Um, but uh, it's really more practical to the individuals who in those areas where it's needed. Again, the politics where I'm at may not be similar to um, where you are in Philadelphia, but uh, we both agree that in improving ourselves and acknowledge the, you know what I'm saying, the, the inferiority status that white supremacy put on and how it shows in sort of society and be a law. So I believe all of those tactics or ideologies are beneficial um, as long as those their plans are implemented correctly. I guess. I guess. Can I add something there? So, yeah. you know, like a lot of people point out his letters to, uh, what's his name? Walter Plecker, the eugenicist. They'll talk about his meeting with these white people. So you have to, like, Look at that. Yeah, he has a black organization. Yeah, he has some simple things that he want to do. But you are now about to work with some specific people that kill black people. Just because y'all both agree that I don't want to be with you. You don't want to be with me. Then basically, let's work together to get to the goal. Elijah Muhammad did the same thing. I'm saying if we could just keep going down the line, you're going to see one of us, one of them people sitting there talking to the people. And, and, and it's gonna, we're gonna get to the same, it's gonna all boil back down to the, you know, the same conclusion. But what I was trying to say before earlier is that this accommodating thing, it depends on, is it for the real benefit of the people or the benefit of the establishment? If the establishment approves it, to me, that is a sign that that ain't for the people. Because if we look at what the other sides are asking for or what they wanna do, and they vehemently fighting against it, and the other individuals are speaking, saying that that's not the way, this is the way, that becomes the issue. And lastly, if we look at, um, I don't want to take too long here, but if we look at that last Black Power Convention in 1972, when they talked about making a Black agenda, this is what they say. For more than a century, we have followed the path of political dependence on white men and their system. 
from the Liberty Party of the decades before the Civil War to the Republican Party of Abraham Lincoln. We trusted in white men and white politics as our deliverers. 60 years ago, W.E. Boyd said we, we should give the Democrats their last chance to prove their sincere commitment to equality for black people. And he was given white rights and official segregation and peace and war. Nevertheless, some 20 years later, we became Democrats in the name of Franklin Roosevelt, then supported successor Harry Truman, and tried nonpartisan Republic General of the Army Eisenhower. We were wood like many others by the superficial liberalism. Lastly, he says, both parties have betrayed us. Here at Gar Gar Gary, let us never forget that while the times and the names of the parties have continually changed, one truth has faced us consistently, never changing. Both parties have betrayed us whenever their interests conflicted with ours. So with that being said, when we talk about this accommodation and we're looking at the black politicians that are in our communities, why black people say right now that they don't want to vote? Are all black people stupid? No, they're not stupid. They see what is actually happening. If I'm looking at gentrification that's happening all across the country in Harlem, I can point directly to the Abyssinian Baptist Church that is here in Harlem. And I can look at this black developer who did this. And he made the open this up as a level to the community. So we're going to bring businesses to the community. We're going to bring more jobs to the community. We're going to help do all these other things. But we now see the result of what he was doing. So when we say in this accommodation, this is what we're talking about. Is it beneficial for this individual in the interest of that party or the black people in general as a whole? And that's the problem. These ideologies been like that from day one. Always been like that. And last point, our first religion that we know about was in America in 1741 was called uh, Negro Election Day. And in this Negro Election Day, we would parrot the election day. And in this, we would pick a king. And this king was the one who was governor over the people. Or who is this God? This is the God that is the intermediate between the white people and the black people. He's the God that puts the rules down for the white man and the black community. That ideology has to be looked at in this whole historical concept. And you're like, what are you accommodating for? When did we ever have a politician or politician period that represented us 100% that we can hold up and say, who? So at some point, we're going to have to try something that we never tried before. And I mean, I'm not going to stay here, but we know, I, we can guess what exactly what it is. We didn't try everything else, and it didn't work. And, you know, the brother said it. I don't remember his name, but we buy into white. We buy into this program. We buy into it. You, I don't have to use history. Just look at your job. Look at a black man that's sitting in you at your job. Look at the black woman that's sitting at your job. Some of these people will betray you just so that they can get to that next level. Accommodation. Who's your boss? There's levels to it. And all of those levels have a root. And until that's identified and we say we don't want this no more, we're going to be having this conversation 20 years down the line. And it's going to keep having it. It's not going to never stop. Uh. <laughs> Listen, I agree with a lot of things Brother Robert said. The only thing that I don't agree with is that it's not going to ever stop. It's it's going to stop. And I think that we have to be uh, the catalyst in stopping it. And I'm talking about the uh, the mindset that we we have and that we're espousing this evening. Richard, 
you mentioned uh, to brother, both brother Rabon and brother Sineb about what's going on in Virginia in relation to accommodationists. And I think right. uh, brother Sineb mentioned about they're representing their particular localities, whether it's Virginia or Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in reference to what you're saying and when we were comparing them to the other men, um, even though they had political connections, uh, none of those men, even uh, uh, Marcus Garvey, who the caller brought up, W.B. Du Bois or Booker T. was not politicians. <clears throat> These people here, um, all we have to do is look at what they're doing. Their works prove what they are. Um, you got blacks from Obama to uh, uh, Abrams to the guy, uh, Jamie, whatever his last name is, I forgot, uh, Warnock and others going to Virginia to convince, just like Malcolm said about the black voters, the determining factor, to convince black people to vote for a guy that was running around in blackface as opposed to this Republican guy. You got blacks running to that state to convince black constituents to do this. Black people that's suffering in Virginia, just like they're suffering in Alabama and in, in Georgia. We, we, we can't keep doing this. I just read a, uh, um, a article in Politico a couple of days ago that black candidates posted blowout numbers in these uh, uh, recent uh, campaign uh, contributions. Uh, Warnock uh, is running again. He raised over nine or close to $10 million in just 90 days. Val Demings, the former cop that's running down there in Florida, amassed an eye-popping, according to this article, an eye-popping $8.5 million in a short period of time. Tim Scott, brought in $8.4 million. They said black candidates is posting blowout numbers around the country in these races with cash windfalls uh, uh, into their campaign coffers. The question is, is those windfalls coming from the black community? No, they're not. They're coming from special interest groups. They're coming from religious groups, whether it's Jews or whoever is donating money. And just like this uh, uh a capitalist system we live under wherever the money is coming from that's who you or, or that's who you're going to bow to so i think these people's works saying who they are they're using black people because they're black they're using a black vote but they don't represent black interests or black people it's clear to me well Go ahead, Rich. I'm definitely one who um, also agreed that as of as of this this body, it's hard to tell. And I know there there are some, and the ones that are out there are not necessarily public figures. Um, it's hard to tell who are the um, those who represent um, black folks that deal with the accommodation question. But in the end, you can point to like. Even even with um, I'm definitely with Booker T in relationship to Tuskegee and what Tuskegee was able to do 
in this time. And, but, um, and, and, and specifically, you know, and again, with, um, if we just look at the works, the, the scholastic work of, 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 uh, of Du Bois, um, I think it, it was, it, it was even to what he did with the Philadelphia Negro. I think that that was that work, you know, taking, um, you know, was something in the interest of black folks in, in the sense of being able to give a self-reflection. And if I'm not mistaken, um, Seneb, which it was hard for me to figure out, um, you posted uh, a survey, I think it was that the boys was the boys did in relationship to the income um, in um, Georgia. Uh, was that yeah? What, what, what year was that done? Oh, that was in 1900. And and just and just being able, I mean, to show what we were uh, able to do, but to show where we started from, so that we can build on. I don't see that of uh, these um, these um, these what I call you know political entrepreneurs. Um, they just had a a conference, uh, Frederick Douglass. Uh, one day, three hour uh, conference of state uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, um, as it was supposed to be, uh, not just, and this is the second one. I, I don't, uh, when I'm looking around me, I don't see where their, their political um, capital is being used for the, to, to move the quality of life. I ain't saying that it's absolute. I, I agree with, with um, Rob Bourne's assessment in the sense of of the their the the expansion of who benefits is of a smaller network, but I can't see the benefit of black people within the community that I see, especially the um, council people using those as an example, um, where I'm living in an environment that is being totally uh, regentrified. Under under his um, watch, um, the person before him who was black watch, and and on and on. So I, I I just it's just hard for me to see when we talk about from the context of accommodation and Elliot when you bring up about the dollars that's being raised, and that's the visible dollars mm-hmm. exactly. Um, that you know they they work out for the best interests of of black folks, and I and I appreciate Rob Bourne bringing up a historical moment. Um, where, like, you could see the same thing done. And what what did you call him, Robo? He was the king of. And, um, yeah, the Negro Color Convention. It was a, uh, I mean, not Negro, excuse me, the uh, Negro Election Day, and they would have to pick a king. Um, and they were using an African ceremony, which was interesting. But it would be a king, and they were, and they were really from Africa. That's the interesting thing. And every year they would have this vote. They would do like fighting, et cetera. But these persons are the ones who administrate the justice in the community. And they are the liaison between the European and the, and the, and the black community. So, so That's what I was trying to say earlier when I was talking about Europe. They did it there first. And you see the black mayor that's there in the 1500s. And you're like, so those people see that, but they will never get this person. It's like an illusion. Like, you can be just like Mr. Valentine. You can be just like him. No, you're not. This guy is specially picked and made for the job. You're not. 
interesting. So you know, it's an interesting. This is this is a ongoing thing, bro. I mean, so like, I don't see it changing, bro. I really don't. I mean, like, I'm not saying I lost hope as far as the people, but I don't. I don't see it. It's like we 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 all the way in through corporate, through labor, through education, through the way we dress, everything. Our culture, our music, our entertainment, everything, everything that runs the community, we in it, and it, and it's like no one sees the picture, bro. We're not there, there's no talking, there's no having this conversation with a person who got their PhD, got to work, got their family, and this, and we having this conversation. They're gonna the conversation's gonna go different. Unless they have a degree in history, et cetera, it's gonna go different. Like what you talking about? I I, I came from the ghetto. I, I I bust my I went to school for ten years. I wrote my dissertation. What do you mean, Albert? No, no, no. You, you guys, what do you mean, nationalists? No, America is the greatest country on the planet Earth. Well, the, the voting process works. You just lazy. You become like a Bill Cosby talking about. Remember that? I was beating up the black community. Remember that? Mm. Yeah. That's how you're going to talk. So, so Elliot, and, 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 and I, I'm, I'm a, I'm an optimist, um, but I, I think that this is another example of, of where, um, you know, having a historical analysis that we can't, we can't, what's that, overlook it or sugarcoat it, coat it. We have to look it in the face in order because within us, it seems that there is a culture and system of accommodation that looks out for the other point that you made, Elliot, to control black people. We can't we can't overlook that. Not, you know, and what I hear is it has a long history that we can't, you know, just put it in the context of our generational experience. We have to look at it as an evolution of generation to understand, well, what is it that we got to do now? But we also have to be optimistic that um, the intervention, um, those standing on the sideline, as Sister McKinney says, um, more can be pulled to one side or the other. And that's, the, for me, the example of the Underground Railroad, a network of people who are able to make it happen. But... That might be going off topic. Let's uh let's take a brief break. Can we all stay for a few more minutes? Can we all stay for a few more minutes? Yes, yes, sir. I'm here. Good, good. Let's take a brief break, and when we come back, uh, we'll continue. We got a call on the line. We'll continue this conversation, <clears throat> and we can do that with our guests, activist, researcher, and historian, Brother Sinev Sankofa. Also, Brother Raborn is with us. They're both from Each One Teach One Think Tank. Uh, jump on the line while they're still here. Uh, 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back.
to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu Black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu Black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. Darkness no longer, a child is born. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America. We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you.
Today, our people can see that we're faced with a government conspiracy. This government has failed us. The senators who are filibustering concerning your and my rights, that's the government. Don't say it, Southern senators. This is the government. This is a government filibuster. It's not a segregationist filibuster. It's a government filibuster. Any kind of activity that takes place on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, that's the government. So this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program, a do-it-yourself do philosophy, a do-it-right-now philosophy. Uh, it's already too late philosophy. This is what you and I need to get with. And the only time, the only way we're going to uh, solve our problem is with a self-help program. Before we can get a self-help program started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. Black nationalism is a self-help philosophy. What's so good about it, you can stay right in the church where you are and still take black nationalism as your... World, come rejoice with me. It's a new day. A new listening to Time for an Awakening, Time for an Awakening, with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 9.04 and Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, uh, Brother Saneb Sankofa and Brother Rob Bourne uh, from the Each One, Teach One Think Tank. Uh, you can get involved in the conversation while they're still here by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Let's go to 215-215. Yeah, hey, Brother Elliot, how you doing? How are you, sir? Uh, hey, Brother Richard, how you doing, my brother? Good morning. Hi, hi, hello to your, to, to your two wonderful guests. How y'all brothers doing tonight? I'm good, sir. I'm doing fine. I praise you to our line. You know, I was, I'm just listening to, the, to uh, you know, you and Brother Richard and, and uh, Brother Ellis, what y'all are talking about. See, it's, to me, it's clear when you heard when Brother Ellis and stuff. Clear. Wait a minute. Your call's breaking up. Repeat that, what you said. I was saying it's, it's clear, Brother Ellis, when we was playing a, a clip of Brother Malcolm just now in, 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 your, in your conversations throughout the show, that, you know, we've been bamboozled. I mean, we, we you know, when you, we talk about how they're sending these Negroes down Virginia and other places to campaign for these white Democrats and stuff, and when, when none of them give a damn about black people, for, for real, for real, you know, we just constantly getting played. You know, we, you know, we put, they put it. Mm. You, you're breaking, you're on. breaking up. Your call is breaking up. Your call is breaking up. Oh, Yeah, let, let's see if he, he reached back into another line. Um, before we start winding things down, Richard, um, Brother Rob Bourne said something before we uh, 
we broke for uh, our last break. And I just want to throw this out there because uh, Brother Sinep uh, raised some things earlier in the conversation in the beginning when he was talking about the political formations that happened uh, right after Reconstruction. You remember the conversation uh, and some of the things that you, let's go, wait a minute, let, uh, I'll, I'll table what I was going to say. Let's go back. Maybe the caller got a better line. 215, you still there? Yes, sir. Can you hear me a little better than Elliot? Yes. Okay. Y'all were saying that when you played the clip, and I apologize for the bad connection, when you was playing the clip just now with Brother Malcolm was saying about how these, these, these white liberals posing as our friends and stuff, and then you mentioned earlier about how, you know, they sending people like Warnock and others to these states and stuff to campaign for these white Democrat governors and everything like that. When at the end of the reality, they never had the best interest about people at heart. They play our people for stupid. Like Brother Malcolm said, we put them first, they put us last. Black people are the main reason why Joe Biden's sorry ass is in office right now. But, the, but yet, none of them Negroes got enough heart to hold Biden's feet to the fire as he look. You know, we want something for our vote. We're the only people that can constantly, you know, get 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 mistreated. You know, we first pass. You know, we when any kind of reparations, anything else, just for the benefit of black people, like Malcolm said, they so they always unwilling or unable to, to deliver. And you know, we go come out and joke and vote for these people. You know, what I mean, they use them black politicians all over America to get black folks out the, out, out of these in the cities now, like in Chicago recently when they built the. Obama Library up there. That's for the third people in the south side of Chicago to get black people the hell out of that area. So, and before you know, in the next five years, if not sooner, that whole south side of Chicago, which is predominantly black, going to be white people living there, going to turn into a little white suburb up there. I mean, this stuff is happening over and over again. And it, couldn't be, it wouldn't be happening if they didn't have these Negroes doing their bidding for them. I mean, we're just constantly getting sold out over and over again, man. It's a, it's a sin and a shame unto the creator, man. It really is. It really is, uh, uh, brothers, you know. So you know, that's why we got to put our nose to the grindstone and, and, and try to do our best to our people and, and stop falling for the okie doke and, and start holding these Negroes accountable and stuff. Because they, they're disgraced and stuff. Warnock, Stacey Abrams, all these Negroes, they're not working for, for uh, they're not working for black people. They're working to constantly just uphold white supremacy and everything they, and stuff. They not, they don't give a damn. As long as they're getting problems from the white man's table, they live in large, they can give a damn about their children going to subpar schools, living in bad neighborhoods. They could care less. As long as they can, as long as they're getting their pensions and their big salaries, they can, they can, they can hobnob with, with white folks. They, 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 they cool with it. You know what I mean? And, and, and unfortunately, our brother Ellie mentioned to your guest, we don't seem to get. That. We don't, some, some of us don't seem to understand it. We think these people are working for our interests, but they are not. They're working for the interests of white supremacy. And that's the bottom line. You know, and I, and I you know, thank you for letting me express myself and, and put me on mute, Ellie, and I'll listen to, to the rest of the uh, show. Thank you for your call, sir. You're welcome. Richard? Yeah. Well, see, I'm, I'm a, a believer um, that this is warfare. And, and like in any engagement, it's it's not about what um, your opponent and the resources they're using in the warfare. It's about how effective your strategy is mm-hmm. in order to win um, the battle. Some battles are small, some are large, but primarily to win the positioning that you need to win in order to win the war. 
and then purpose of the history is to be able to look over those engagements in order to reformulate your strategy. Um, but when we're looking at it as passive observers, again, as Sister McKinney makes that metaphor of if we're looking at it as people standing on the sideline, then we're not looking at it as Kunte Kinte who got caught as an individual. But, you know, my, my, my point is that we're, we're, we have to look at it that we are the Kunte Kintes and we are being able to create new strategies. And in doing that, a part of that strategic and tactical is accommodating to the environment and terrain because you can have no weapons and then be able to pick up the weapons that is left behind and still win the war. So, or, you know, so it's, it's, but when we look at it as what they're doing compared to what is it that we have to do based off of our analysis, then we have more chance for a victory in the end. And the victory doesn't have to be something that happens overnight. It may be generational. But each generation, we're putting something in place to make our fortification to to the end um, accomplishment um, guaranteed. You know, so that's that's how I need to that's how I need to look at it. That's what I would like to um, base off of. Listen to um, Brother Sinev and Brother uh, Rod Bourne give us this long historical narrative and and these um, flashpoints of what 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 history is telling us and and making that analysis. Um, What is it that um, I need to be able to understand? And I hope the time for awakening audience um, really listen, um, really engage into each one, teach one's um, information, because I think that they would come, it would become more encouraging and become more fortifying in relationship to their own strategic plan in, in the areas that they're in. That's that's what I hope we get out of, you know, this discussion and interaction. And I appreciate that, you know, um, these gentlemen for giving their um, life energy um, and mental acumen to actually assist in, in this project, this long, uh, this long war warfare that we're engaged in. 500 years is a drop in the bucket um, compared to how long we've been around. And, and let me uh, say something. Uh, 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 well, maybe a closing comment to uh, to our guest, um, Brother Sinev. Early in the conversation, Richard, you remember when he talked about some of the political formations that happened during Reconstruction, and how it was agendas uh, set up. It was uh, platforms, and uh, people acted on it. Uh, you remember some of the things that you mentioned, Brother Sinev. Yes, I think I was speaking to the, the color conventions and how they drew up resolutions at the convention, and those resolutions were sort of pushed to their local delegates and communities. Exactly. Um, and the people that went into office acted on those platforms based on the people's wishes. See, I, I think in any experience that we, and especially that we've had here, is clues to how we can move moving forward. Now, white folks seeing what was going on in those areas and they were using this political process to do it. The only way that they could stop it was to go in there with force 
and do what they did in some of the areas that Brother Seneb had mentioned. The same thing can happen now. We can take control of the politics in these localities, especially where we outnumber these other nationalities, and create enclaves where our people can have safe havens while this system exists. Because believe me, systems rise and fall. It has happened since the, uh, since nations have been here on this planet. This system is not going to last forever. It's, it has risen, and it's going to eventually fall. The thing is, what do we do moving forward? Our people is not going to disappear when this United States uh, of America disappears. We have to make plans to have our people move forward. Now, it's power in our communities. It's clear. Anytime these white folks want to do anything, they come to the black community. Sometimes white folks themselves run up in black churches after the door is opened by some of our pastors or they'll send black lackeys or accommodationists to do the dirty work for them. So it's power in the vote in our communities. And if we use some of the examples of our ancestors during that reconstruction period, we can change the dynamic of some of the things going on in these communities. We can do it. The thing is, we have to get the information out there to the people, ways that they can do it. It has been black independent parties that have been showcased on this program. They're around the country. Our people can get the information on those things, join those parties, run candidates in their communities that's going to appeal to the grassroots, not just talk bullshit like some of these politicians that we see, and then get in office and do something different. Black farmers getting screwed. This this new uh, revised Build Back America plan, which has nothing to do with black people, you're going to get screwed in the end. Black farmers that were supposed to be getting that money, uh, because of racism by the USDA, it happened to Obama. They got supposedly got a record amount of money that they got screwed out of when he was in. Now uh, uh, Biden uh, 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 allocates five billion, and they're gonna get screwed out of that. But other nationalities, I think four hundred fifty thousand dollars gonna go to each one of those uh, Mexicans that they uh, incarcerated down there or separated them from their families. I think twenty five thousand. These Afghan Uncle Toms that work with the United States over there against their own people that have been here and come through Philadelphia. Where do you think they're going? We've asked this question on the community. Where do you think those 25,000-plus people are going? They ain't going in white areas to open up white businesses. They're coming in your communities. They're coming in Harlem. They're coming in Baltimore. They're coming in Philadelphia. They're coming in Chicago. They're going to go in black communities and open up businesses and, and suck to your economic strength out of the black communities and they're going to get help from these black accommodationists. We can stop this foolishness. We don't have to live like this. We don't have to throw up our hands and say, Oh, it ain't just going to be like this. No, we got to give hope and understanding to our children that they can make a difference in this and stop letting their minds be turned over to these white folks. that got black lackeys teaching them all types of old degenerate stuff in rap music teaching them all types of stuff about uh, 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 anything goes, you, uh, you don't have to identify as a man or woman, all this type of shit. This is not our culture. We have adapted to it. This is not our culture. We're going to throw up our hands and, and just say, I give up. We can't do this. We just can't. Any last comments from our guests? I'm sorry to take the mic from you, but no, I'll turn no, it over no, to you. No, that's a good thing. I would say this, 
you know, I, I always I tell this one story a lot. And um met a person when I was younger and out of a prison. And, you know, you run into people who are a part of the Black Liberation Army, met one of those brothers named Righteous. And I ran into some people that was original Black Panthers, like they got 75 numbers, like before I was even, I'm like, God damn. And those people all forgot about them. Nobody talks about them, nobody cares about them. But if, you know, rapper get locked up, free meat milk. I mean, but anyway, this guy told me a story. And I would sit there and argue with this man, but the same position that you have. And I'm like, yo, the youth is the future, bro. And if I can change, they can change. Yes. And if there's no one and if there's no one showing them that it can be done, not just talking, not the talking thing. Not to make you feel good, you know, my third eye or none of that. You talking about I went and did this. I got this to show for it. I did this, that, and that, and I'm this is where I'm at now. And I could be like, yeah, I traveled out of the country. I didn't went all types of places. This is what I did. And these are the connections I made. You can do it too. So he told me something, and I didn't really, I didn't, I thought I was fighting him. He said that he fought in the Africa riot. He got bullets in his legs. Get back things every day. He said, I he did this so that we could get college and prison. We did this so that your visits, your mother is not getting sexually molested when they're coming up there. We did this so that your sister is not getting raped. That was really happening. Like they was raping people's families. Like this was, this was crazy, but this was really happening. We did this for that. And not only did we do it for that, we did it for the continuation of the black liberation cause. And I want you to look around in this yard. What are the CEOs doing right now? We're in a maximum penitentiary with people who have natural life and they're never going home. Look at them. What are they doing right now? I said, they sleeping. Good. Now, what is these dudes doing over here? And it just happened that this day, you could tell something's going to happen. Look at these gang members. You come up here, cut each other up over colors, stab each other up, beat each other up, rob each other. You're selling drugs in here. You're giving people dope. And this is what I fought for. I, I didn't fight for that. I fought for the liberation of our people. And look at what you, this is his work. Look at what you young Negroes did. This is a complete slap in the face to me. I don't get letters from my family no more. My grandmother died. My grandfather died. My mother died. All of these people died. And I could have went home. But I chose to be a part of this because I saw the bigger picture. I'm going to tell you this, young man. The revolutionary dead. And I didn't want to listen to him. I'm like, man, get the fuck out of here. This old man is crazy. What are you talking about, man? Like, I, I couldn't fit him in. I didn't understand it. And he sounded crazy to me. And then when I have this new understanding and coming to the world, and I'm looking at what's going on, and I'm like, yo, this is crazy, bro. And that's my reality. That's my walk. And that's me seeing that. And as we looking at that, and I compare that to out here, like, Bro, like, I don't know what to say. Like, if you have a bunch of people who is breaking the rules already and they not following rules and regulations, and once you get there, and then even in 2000, they had something where we wanted to get college back in, in the prison. We wanted that back because that right there is the only thing that reduced the recidivism rate, where 60% of people are going back. 
There was no program that our taxpayers paid billions of dollars that helped reform people with self-education, period. And they know that. That's why they took it out. And that's part of Bill Clinton's shit. So anyway, look at what happened. The female jail, the females are the only ones who stood by it. All you had to do is don't eat your fucking food and don't come out and don't work. Listen to this closely. We're going to compare this out here. Don't go to the industry job where you're making furniture, where you're making license plates, where you're making medical products for these fucking corporations. And you getting paid a little more money than everybody else. You know what these Negroes did? They locked them niggas out and they said, I want to make, they gave them a raise and they said they coming out. So if those people can't do that, if they can't do it, I can't, I like, I don't see it, bro. I look at George Floyd. I'm outside every day. The whole seven days I was out there when it was turned up just because they said no curse. Can't say what I was doing, but I was out. And I look at this and then two months later, there's no more black people out here marching. For three to four months as I'm working, training my clients, all I see is white people, bro. There's white people, no black people. And then we just become silent. Every time something happens, they know how much money we're going to spend. They have this thing called the Nelson Report that makes them control, like, the algorithms and your Internet to send you specific ads. They know how much most of our money is spent on rent. They know about transportation. They know about the food. And then everything else is miscellaneous, nonsense, bullshit. They know this. And they, and they sell this information to these companies that we see every day around us. So they know that, number one. Number two, they know that if something happens, you Negroes are only going to get mad for a couple of weeks, throw a temper tantrum and mess up your community, and you're going to go back on and doing what you're doing. I'm sorry, my brother. I don't see it. The only way I see that anything is going to change is when they completely flip on us and make us the enemy number one completely and just start violating our rights where we have no, no choice but to come together in order to survive. If this continues in this trajectory and how it is going and every other nationality that comes to this country and they are using this political process, they own the stores and our every yo, like I don't know what to say. Black nationalism where? We we sound like dinosaurs. Where is this happening? You're gonna look at Atlanta, the place where most black people all right, fine. But it's forty five million of us. We all ain't in the south. We in the Midwest. Who owns the shit in your community? Who owns the shit where you live? Who owns your goddamn building that you paying rent for? Like, who owns all of this? And then we look at all of our rappers and entertainers. They scream, I'm from this block. I'm from this block. But you don't own shit on the block. I don't want to hear about you. What, 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 what do you mean, your block? What, 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 how many buildings you got? Are you taking some of that revenue and putting it back into the key? You're not doing none of that. You're just saying it. Well, like, uh, br- br- brother, I won't. Let me let me say let, let me say this to you. Who has facilitated all of what you just stated? Or the businesses yeah, being what? run? Who has facilitated the businesses being run in your communities? The gentrification. Who has helped facilitate that? Black people and your political structure. Exactly. But exactly. And it's black. There's, there's black people apart, but that doesn't stop us because I wasn't here in the beginning. I know that probably did it. That don't stop us from building our own stuff. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, like, so, right. So, like, if we look at it, what just happened with, what is it, last year? Look at this. Here's another example. 
Gucci and Prada made some products with blackface on it. People got mad for how long? Two weeks? And then your entertainers, Floyd Mayweather, said, fuck that, I'm buying all this shit. And they like, yeah, that's right. Snoop Dogg is on TV. Yo, man, how long we got to boycott Gucci, yo? I want to wear my Gucci. Yeah, like, but see, but, but brother Rob Bowen, we have to counter that by all of the media outlets that we have <clears throat> that that are have some type of semblance of consciousness. We have to counter it because when you see, you saw with uh, Mayweather's his answer to that, you saw that in the media. You didn't see it. You don't know Mayweather to go to his house and hear him say that. You saw it because you saw it in the media. He makes sure that these responses that favor what he's saying is seen by you and other young people. He makes sure of this by the use of media. Bill Clinton uh, 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 passed that, uh, um, um, uh, Don, what's that at, Richard? For, for the prison? No, the, 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 uh, the, the, communicate, the telecommunications no, act no, no. Uh, to, to uh, limit uh, black uh, 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 stations around this country because he's seen the power of it when blacks went out to that million man march. That was done through black radio. It wasn't done. There wasn't no TV people out there doing anything in reference to uh, mobilizing black people. They seen the power of that. So they changed that law and enabled all these clear channel and all that to buy up black media and then put these people like Steve Harvey and others telling jokes six days a week all in front of black people. They control the media. But being that we have this Internet now and other venues, we can get messages out there to our people the same way our people did when we were enslaved and had the drum and other things, getting messages to our people. They formed the Underground Railroad, getting messages to our people. Believe me, it wasn't no whites that formed that Underground Railroad. That was long before any whites realized what was going on. Those things were formed by our people, even when we were enslaved. We can do this. I know it seems bleak because we see what's happening out here. We see it ignorant. Uh, yeah, no, some... no I, I, I agree with you, my brother, that the change will come, but it's a catalyst. There's something that has to happen. So another of my analogies I like to use is water. I think that black people's political situation, economic situation is equivalent to people being underwater. And don't and never came to the surface, so you don't know what's going on up top because all you see <laughs> is this water that's around you. You don't know about what's up there. You don't know about what's going on up there because you've never been up there. All you see is this, and this is what it is. So until the people get snatched out of that water, so that they are now aware that hold on, there's a land. This oh wow, what, what kind of animal is this? And with that animal that I'm talking about is the beast. And so that happens. And, and that and that person puts that foot directly on our neck. That's when the change is going to happen. But, but, I don't I don't see it no other way. Warren, you, you you have to, uh, um, and, and, <clears throat> and your point is well taken, but you have to look at the work that you're doing um, as a part of the solution. Of yeah, you know what I mean? Because yes. your, your work, I mean, you know, I mean, um, each one, teach one, those pieces that y'all put up there for those of us who are underwater, you know, we may not, we, we might be coming up and we just see this glimmering, which is saying something's going on that we want to reach for. 
And that information that you're putting out and what Elliot said in the venues, because um, as you said, I mean, y'all are using a different venue, you know, in order YouTube and, 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 and clubhouse in order to get that information. That's that venue is bringing another one. We only need to get one, another one. And that one success um, is really a multiplier in relationship to others that they get. And and the historical understanding that you, you develop, I mean, not just saying we listening to somebody else, as, as Brother Seneb say, and you say too, you know, we're, we're only mimicking, um, we're only repeating what our ancestors said. So we ain't got to be taking it from somebody else. This is what they said they did. This is what they said um, they the way to look at it. This is what they said compared to listening to somebody else. And when we read it, we're reading not what you say, because all you're doing is putting up what they said. That's that's a victory. That's a tactical win. And no matter understanding, it may the, the actual art may not be seen, but every tactical win and, and a sustained win and from the Freedom Journal to now, um, we can't overlook that. That's, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I'm not discounting, you know, I guess just trying to be, you know, trying to do something that might be a, a, a LA. Rob Bourne is a hardcore, so we got we to gotta work with him, you know. No, I, I'm listening. I understand what, where all the brothers is coming from. But I'm just, uh, just like you said, Richard, what they're doing is is a victory to this bat or or strategy or a, or a or a um, <clears throat> I, I kind of lost words in reference to what you were saying saying, but it's a strategy towards this victory. Right. It is. If you know, I'll give an example, and we gonna wind things down because I want to get some closing words from Brother Snip. If you went to Abyssinian Church, and I'll use that because you mentioned it, Brother Rabon. And they gave you the mic, and you drew an audience, similar to what Malcolm did 50 or 60 years ago. Who do you think this system would send out to attack you? You would be under attack. You still there? You still with me? Yeah, I'm listening. You would would be under attack because what you're saying is dangerous to them. You might not think you're making an impact. You might see all this foolishness going on in our communities and other places and think, wow, you know, I'm, I'm swimming against the tide. But they know that what is being stated out here from people that understand what's going on is dangerous. So anytime they hear any type of speech like that, they're on it. They're on it. Like white on rice, they're on it. Even if the person don't even really know what they're talking about, they're on it. You seen it last year when uh what's his name? Did uh the cannon, uh the wide receiver that was here with the Eagles. They made statements and they really didn't really understand what they were saying. But as soon as those statements was made, people was on it. They were vilified, not only by so called Jews, by whites, liberals, period. They were vilified. They don't want to hear statements that is going against what they, the direction they got black people moving in. Because they know it's dangerous. 
So believe right. me, and keep keep, back to, yeah, and keep doing back. what you're doing because you're making an impact. That's all I'm saying. Right. I agree. And they made them they made them accommodate. You gonna submit, boy. You wanna keep getting this bread, Nikki? And what did he do? I'm gonna you know what? I think I was wrong in what I was saying. Let me um I'll talk to your rabbi. I'm like, yo, dude, like that conversation is one of the illest conversations. I, I know you have to feel, but I'll leave it at this point. It's one of the illest conversations I ever had, especially dealing with that that he brought up. Bro, these Jews or these Jewish philosophies is at the ideological root to iron slavery. Your rabbis wrote the mid-match rabbis. Well, well, I don't want to get off anything because that, that'll be another topic in itself that we can open up. But let, let me get. Yeah, but let me get Brother Snap to give some closing comments. Brother Snap must have fell asleep. Oh, okay. You there? Yes, sir. Rephrase that last question. No, no, no. It wasn't a question. I just want you to give some closing comments on, based on what Richard said about what you men are doing. Well, excuse me if you're here a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know your hands are full. But um, uh, I just appreciate the conversation, and it's appropriate because um, this period in time, um, beginning the 19th century to present is an area that's not really described, uh, particularly when it comes down to political education. So this understanding all forms and, and avenues of approach when it comes down to strategically planning out and navigating racism and white supremacy, I feel like it's on the table. But again, it is important to sort of analyze these things and sort of create uh, lessons learned. So moving forward, as we begin to educate the next generation of political leaders and thinkers and, and community members, um, they'll be they'll have those tools in their kit bag to be able to deal with it. So uh, I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate um, yourself and Brother Richard for letting us come on. And listen, I, I hear in your arms one of the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. Just like Minister, oh, Fer- yes, just like Minister Furcon says in that snippet I just played. We can't keep passing this struggle down to generation after generation. We can't keep doing this. We can't. So I'm, yes, I'm, sir, I'm, and I'm, I'm and we see at, at every generation we see it's the youth sort of leading the, leading the charge with the new black political thought. Oh, see, he, he, he's ready to start talking right now, Richard. He's ready to get involved in the conversation right now. That's right. So again, thank thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. And peace to the God, Rob Bourne, for for coming by too. Yeah. Peace, man. I thought Danny was going to be. Yeah, yeah. We got to do something to get get the you know get him out of that cloud. You know to share with us. Yeah, he be. We gonna get him. I'll get him out of there. Hey, brothers. Thanks for being with us. We'll look talk to you soon. Thank you for for having us on. Peace. Peace. Alright. Uh, Richard Allen. Richard Allen. <laughs> I ain't playing with you, man. <laughs> Talk to you. Take it. Richard, in- interesting conversation with uh uh <laughs> brother Rob Bourne and something else. But uh I listen, we need that intergenerational interaction. We need that. Right. It kind of gives us a perspective on what's what we're dealing with. Although, I mean, although we're not disconnected from what we're dealing with, but it it kind of gives us different perspectives on on this this uh, this struggle and uh, and approaches to it. Uh, but you know, it's not, you're more closer to what those men are doing because you see it more. Uh, 
I mean, I like what the the things I've heard from you, what they're doing, and uh, the things I've seen about what they're doing. Uh, all of these things, they they might not think it's uh, yeah. I mean, Rob Owen kind of goes back and forth. He might not think it's making an impact, but it's making an impact. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, look, they they got me, they got me hooked, you know, and and uh, and 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 learning, and I, and again. I hope that the Time for Awakening audience that, you know, um, go to each one, you know, is on Facebook, each one, teach one. And, um, you know, in order to get some of that, you know, the information and how, because they they really work in dealing with different, you know, you see that they looked at the whole 500 years and not know one aspect of it either. You know, so it's important to have these kind of uh, venues, just like Time for Awakening. And I and I appreciate what you said, Elliot, because each one of these here venues of communication, because communication is the basis of organization. Whether it's symbolically by music or drum, you got to have, and it can't be just noise. It's got to be effective communication. That's how you move things. Before we wind things down this evening, just want to give the lineup on time for an awakening media Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting dialogue and guest on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on Monday evenings, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Maria Kambon and Dr. Kamal Kambon. After that program, uh, on first and third Monday of every month, conversation reparations, um, and Cobra's program. And, uh, you know, we got to reach out Richard and, uh, yeah, get, get some folks on here to, to talk with the community and, uh, just, uh, give some answers to what's happening. I'll leave it like that for now. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday, eight to 10 PM black reality. Think tank with Dr. William Rogers on Wednesday. It's our time, the Black Farmers Program. It's scheduled to start up again because they were on a little hiatus. It was a, a harvest season, and they had the uh, markets going on. Uh, so they'll be coming back on again shortly. Uh, they might be on this Wednesday. I'm not sure, but I'll find out. But their time slot is uh, Wednesdays, uh, 8 to 9. And from 9 to 10, the Black Agenda Report with Dr. David Muhammad. Interesting program that's on on Wednesday nights from 9 to 10. On Friday, 8 to 10, uh, time for an awakening. On Saturday, from 7 to 9 p.m., the elders of Sankofa. And uh, Sunday, time for an awakening is back from 7 until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. And our guests, lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, Your children playing after school. They seem to be so unaware of. I know I.
Children. To save the children. 